0: Gordon's back there making fun of me. It's okay, he's old. Um, <laughs> careful, don't hit that hip too hard. We wouldn't want it to crack and break. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, I want to thank you for uh, today and just giving us again the opportunity to look into your word and uh, see what you have uh, to say about uh, dealing with uh, some difficult things, God. And uh being able to look back at the first century church and see the way that they lived, uh, see what happened to them, God, and also their response, and uh, the amazing things that you used them to do. Help us to, uh, to remember that and, uh, and to uh, follow in their footsteps, God, and their examples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so before we get started, I want to show you this video, and uh, hopefully I can get it going, and uh, just, I just want you to pay attention to what they're saying about these kids, so uh, we're going to be talking about kind of how to respond to persecution and things like that today. But while we do that, one of the things that I want you to realize is that uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world today. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more after this video. But just listen to, listen to this video about these kids. ISIS militants brutally behead four Christian children in Iraq, all of them under the age of 15. The leader of the Anglican Church in Baghdad says it's because they wouldn't denounce Jesus
1: and then convert to Islam. So where's the global outrage on this? Joining us now is Fox News religion contributor, Father Jonathan Morris. Hey, good morning. Morning. So it's obviously emotional for
2: us
0: to hear about anything um, going on, anyone being beheaded, whether they're American Mm -hmm. journalists, British journalists, but then when you hear children.
1: Yeah, four children under the age of 15 who are being asked, do you denounce Jesus? Will you denounce Jesus? Supposedly that if they say yes, well then they're let go. And first of all, something to celebrate. These children loved God enough to say, I'm not going to um, betray my faith. And they died. It's tragic. It's also, in my opinion, it's a beautiful sign of love and faith that helps me want to be a better man and to be a a better follower of Jesus. But what I would like to see is our president... And other leaders stand up, international leaders, and keep reminding us of what's going on. You know, it goes in, it goes in waves. You hear it for about, you know, two or three days when there's enough out. I'm gonna skip forward for a minute. And doubt our faith, but they didn't. What can
0: Christians learn from these children? When we we face trials and tribulations, sometimes we doubt God and and doubt our faith, but they didn't.
1: You know, we talked a little bit about doubt last week and that um, I I said I I doubt sometimes um, God's intervention in my life and thing. And that doubt is a very normal human thing. Um, So I don't think we have to get worried about doubt, but what we... what we can do is say, I'm going to act in accordance with what I say I believe. And even what I say, I believe that sometimes is not perfect. My, my, my faith is not perfect. But I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, this is what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. We can get very practical in our, in our personal lives, in business, at work, etc. cetera. So, uh, you know, we live
0: in a time where persecution is increasing. And I don't know if you guys, how many of you guys have experienced persecution in some way for your, especially on campus? Anybody? Uh, so we've been uh, we've been down this road, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the story of some things that happened with our campus ministry uh, here in a few minutes. But I want to kind of walk down through some things that happened in the book of Acts as well. But just realize that. This is the day and age we live in. And it doesn't have to be, you know, ISIS beheading Christians. There are a lot of things. You can be sitting in a class and catch a lot of crap from your professors for the things that you believe. You can be be told that you have to be silent. You can be told that you can't invite people. Uh, You know, I've seen... Even my kids, you know, they want to invite to their cross chats for junior high, and they want to invite to church as little kids, and they're being told in their schools they can't invite their friends to come to church. Uh, you know, that seems like a small thing, but you have to remember these things build on each other, and uh, Christianity is more and more and more in our day and age coming under attack again. Now, that's a, a scary thing in one sense, but it's also a very exciting thing, and the reason I say that it's an exciting thing is that these are things that the first century church dealt with on a daily basis. They were constantly being persecuted. There were constantly terrible things that were going on that were happening to them. And the church was growing like never before. So our fear doesn't need to be, oh, man, how are we going to be able to reach out to people if this persecution keeps getting worse? Because, honestly, I think it provides us a better opportunity in some ways to reach people. But our our fear should be what kind of man or what kind of woman am I going to be? Because what allowed the first century church to flourish in the face of persecution and all the junk that they were dealing with is it had to do with their faith. It had to do with who they were at their core and what they truly believed. And today in our society, Christianity and Christians have become so watered down that I don't know that we will have the same effect if persecution breaks out today that the first century church had. And so what we've got to be willing to do is we've got to be willing to examine our hearts, examine who we are, and to look into God's Word and say, man, what did they go through? And why were they able to be so effective in spite of all the crap that was going on around them? In spite of the fact that they were being beat down, that they were being stoned, that they were being caned, that they were being killed for their faith, what was it about them that enabled them to continue to grow the church? Because when you look at the first century church, it's amazing to see what happened." It starts out in one area, and it just, it was almost like it spread like a virus to different places, and people were being won every day. And here we are living in a quote-unquote Christian nation, and we're struggling to reach people. We're struggling to be evangelistic, but the first century church under intense peril was able to reach people and do incredible things. Uh, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, you get, a, and, and also in uh, chapter 18 a little bit, you see a little bit about what they're, uh, what they're going through. You see Paul is traveling around and he's trying to reach out to people. And I want to just read a few verses out of chapters 13, 14, and 18 to you. In 13.8 uh, it says, they attempted to share the good news with the ruler in Sol- Sol- uh, Salamis, and they were opposed by a sorcerer. And you look at that and you're like, that's kind of weird. They were opposed by a sorcerer. And you know, this guy's got power. He had influence in the area. And here he is and he stand up, they're coming in to teach. And someone who's already that in that area who has power, who has influence is saying, Uh uh-uh, uh, I'm gonna stand up against this. It's like when you go onto campus and you, you try to say what's right and you got professors going, uh uh-uh. uh don't believe that junk. Don't listen to these guys. You know, I watched a video of this little, uh, like, probably 12-year-old girl talking about how she was sitting in class, and she was ridiculed, and she was called dumb by her teacher because she had asked another student if they had ever heard of the gospel. And they, and, and the teacher and the student berate her, telling her how dumb she is because only stupid people believe in that stuff. You know, uh, in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 13, the traveling companion, John Mark, deserted them and returned to Jerusalem. You know, sometimes when it comes to persecution, you know, we, we expect it from ungodly people, right? We expect persecution from people who don't believe in God, who believe in some other religion. You, ex- you kind of expect that there's going to be some pushback when you try to share your faith. But what really sucks is when it's a brother that you start, or a brother in Christ, or a sister in Christ, you, you start feeling persecuted from. Someone deserts you, abandons you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure, like, you, like us, you've had people who have walked away from your ministry and then trash your ministry. You ever had that happen before? You know, someone walks away, and they're like, well, that ministry, this and this, and they start talking junk in people's ears around you. And I, and, I, and I feel like there's almost nothing more disheartening than to have that happen. You know, like I said, you expect that from the world, but when it comes internally, when it comes from someone you should be able to trust, it can be really, really difficult uh, to deal with. Um, 13 verse 45, Jews who were jealous of Paul and Barnabas' success spoke abusively against them and then stirred up trouble. You know, a lot of times it starts off by... It starts off with some words, right? And then it, and, and, and they just start talking. And, that, and you hope that's where it stops. But you keep reading what happens to them. Verse 50, Paul and Barnabas were persecuted by influential people in the city. Then they were expelled from the city. So it starts off people talking. And then the next thing you know, they're being chucked out of the city. You go to chapter um, 14, verse 2. Jews poisoned the minds of the Gentiles in Iconium and plotted to stone Paul and Barnabas. 1419. Moments later, some Jews from Antioch won the crowd over, and Paul was stoned and dragged outside the city, and he was left for dead. And they go through this, and it's a terrible thing. And we, while we're not, especially in our country, we're not being taken out, we're not being killed, we're not being stoned, we're not being beheaded here. There is a lot of persecution that we face. So our ministry at Lindenwood, a few years ago, and I'm going to give you some background and try to kind of tell the story, as I guess, as simply as possible, and she's going to jump in when I forget things. And uh, But I was working for the university. The reason I got my job at the university I worked at was because our campus ministry had grown so much. It had grown from we started with three people in 2004, and then all of a sudden we were growing this big ministry, putting on these big events. The university we were on didn't really put on events, and our events were making anything they tried to do it was dwarfing them. The guy got fired who ran student activities. I called in to plan an activity, and the guy who was doing the interview was like, you should interview for this position. Aren't you that guy that does that campus ministry thing? Don't you guys do that Rubric thing? Yeah. So I ended up working for the university under the agreement that I will be able to continue to do the campus ministry and oversee it and work with my college ministry, and then I'll be able to do the student activities. So we work for years. Things change. The school was having these vibrant event- events. Great things were going on. The campus ministry was growing. It was an awesome time. Uh, you know, and I could ha- sit here and have some of our campus people tell stories, but I don't know how would you describe like the feeling of our ministry on campus at that time when everything was going well?
2: I do. Just definitely a presence. There was, like you said, excitement, and it was vibrant. There was nowhere that you went that there that it wasn't um, that there wasn't, you know, the the shirts or the you know just the representation. Um, football games, basketball games, I mean homecoming was just completely like dominated um I think that's where in line a lot of like probably some where some of the problems started I look at some of these verses that he read and I'm like yeah I think I really relate to that like you know the jealous of the success and stuff like that it would be like the school would be super excited about the fact that we would come and like bring these awesome you know floats and stuff and we would do it because we like spending time together and we wanted to be you know we liked being creative and we were used to like having to work hard together and not work you know work with very little from being from a poor church and then we'd all like you know put everybody's talents and stuff together and like build these giant floats and these you know work for hours and hours and put together these you know these uh lip sync things and whatever and we really did have a lot of school spirit and our students really did love the school but it kind of would start to be you know one of those things where well then people would start to get jealous and like well I don't like you guys win year after year after year and we're like okay but you know we're like it's because we love our school and you know and then it would like start to turn and it was it was really hard to continue to love a school passionately that seemed to be angry and to jealous and to turn on you because of you know, those things um, because of the very things that brought the original success.
0: And so it became one of those things to where it started turning from that to where in our day and age, political correctness has run a, just run amuck. It's crazy. You can't say anything to anyone anymore without someone being offended. Right. Well, that causes a real problem for Christianity. It causes a real problem for campus ministries. It did for us. Because when you look at Jesus, you know, people today want to say, well, Jesus would never say that. He would never do that. He would never make anyone mad. And it's kind of funny because you want to look at him and be like, you do realize they killed the man, right? Like they killed him. And he ticked people off all the time. And his followers who learned directly from him were stoned and beaten and thrown out of cities. Like you're kind of missing what took place, really. But it was one of those things to where those things start building up. And then to make a long story kind of short what happened was is that our stance on some things like homosexuality and our stance on holding each other accountable accountable for our sin got got blown way out of proportion with people. We started getting written up in all these papers, and all these lies started coming out, and some of our brothers who had walked away were lying about us out of guilt and shame. And the next thing you know, the campus ministry is under a massive persecution. I'm talking like they had written, like I think it was 13 articles within like four weeks in the school newspaper that talked about or dealt with us. And even if it didn't talk about us directly, everybody in the school knew when they're writing this article and calling this, they're talking about how to handle a cult, they were talking about. Us, so it became one of those things to where it got really, really intense. We had people; some students had some trash thrown on them. People would say stuff to to them, yell at them, all this stuff, and. Over the course of this, we went from being this ministry to where the housing people at your university, they called our ministry, would call and say, Hey, we have this house over here, and, and we've had a lot of problems with this house. And I, can your girls move into this house, and can they live there? Because we are tired of dealing with this drama, and the girls move in, and everything's awesome. It's great. They're having a blast. Hey, we got this house over here, and we always had the cops called on us because the neighbor's really picky. So do you think some of your guys could move in there? Our guys move in, cops are never called, our guys get along with them, everything. Well, when all this happens, all of a sudden everything is taken away. I, was, I ended up being forced out of my job. The campus ministry, they wanted us to sign a document saying that we wouldn't witness, proselytize, or evangelize as students were going about their business. And we were like, when is a student not going about their business? You're asking us to sign a document that says that we're not going to minister and we're a campus ministry. We're not going to do that. So we lose our student organization status. I lose my jobs. Not only that, but then they take away the housing of our students on campus in the houses they asked us to move into because of the issues they've had. And they, they disperse them all throughout campus, which that was their bad because... They didn't realize that they would still be disciples if they were dispersed around campus or not. So it was like, ha-ha, go ahead, spread the disease. You know, but uh, it was one of those things to where, uh, you know, but it was a very difficult time. And I, I want to, in a minute, well, so when, the, when these articles start coming out, I remember sitting and not knowing anything was going on and sitting in my office at my desk, and I was sitting there in the morning, and all of a sudden my students start coming in. And I can tell something's not right, and they're out in this little. So we had this little foyer in our in in the area, and the students start coming in, and I notice there's like they're out there talking, and I'm like world is going on over there. And I noticed they're all wearing their, their, at the time it was a cross between shirts. And I'm like, that's weird. They're all wearing their cross between shirts on the same day. Well, what I come to find out is, is that they got up early, they went to breakfast, they grabbed the school newspaper, uh, people brought it to them, showed it to them. And they're like, look what this is saying about your ministry. Look what this is saying about your group. And they're reading it. And instead of going straight to class, they all went back to their dorms and they got their shirts and they put them on. Because they, they looked and they saw what was going on. They're like, no, this is not happening like this. They're like, We're proud of the fact that we're disciples. We're proud of the fact that God has done great things in our lives and so they start pouring into the office and wearing their shirts. And when I look at the first century church, I could just see them doing I could see them doing those same things. You know, they're being persecuted they're being told to shut up. They're being told to do these things. And they're like, uh-uh, that's not the way. That's, it's not going down like that. You think, you think you're going to snuff us out by writing some articles on a paper? You think you're going to snuff us out by throwing us out of a city? No, that's not what we're going to do. And so what I think we have to do is we have to look at the first century church. and We have to say, what was it about them? that allowed them to have the kind of resolve that says, regardless of what you do to us, regardless of what you tell us to do, regardless of what you say, it doesn't matter. We are resolved to the fact that we are not backing down from the message that we have. And what was it about them in the first century that really allowed them to be able to, to do that? And, and I was so proud of our students at that time because I looked and I was like, this is what the first century church would have done and i looked at them and i and i remember hearing conversations and you know being the the campus minister i feel like you always feel like you have to be the one leading the charge right and you have to be the one that, that is the most faithful and you have to be the one that's the most on top of it. And I remember sitting there over that period of months and and Hannah can tell you in just a second how she was feeling about it. But I remember watching our students and my faith being extremely challenged and my boldness being challenged because I was watching these kids some of whom had only been Christian for months, a Christian for months. And here I am, I've grown up watching this in my entire life and I'm like, man, they have more courage and passion and fire than what I have. And I want, to, I want to face this the same way I'm watching these baby Christians face this. And it was a very difficult time, drug out over months, where it was really rough. So to watch them go through this faithfully really challenged my faith.
2: I think whereas, like he said, I look at the students and how they handled it, and I sat back and watched Carrie and how he handled it, I was kind of the what not to do in the way of handling it. Um, I really let my anger, I really let my bitterness, I really let my selfishness get in the way. I was I was so angry at a university that could let those kind of things happen to, to us. And um, I know I talked about this in the girls' lesson the other day, but, like, I'm a very you do the right thing, then you get the right result kind of person. And, you know, it just, it, I just – I. I was very earthly-minded. I was very much so in my own head about the way that things should go down. It wasn't fair. You know, like, that was my mom, my mantra. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Um, to the point where, like, I didn't even step foot on the campus probably for, I think, a whole year after it happened. And I look back on it now, and, you know, it could have been a really good opportunity for me to really stretch my faith and to really grow and to really learn how to love my enemies and you know, um, I know probably a lot of us have talked about this, but we're going through the 30 Days with Jesus book, and I, and I read now, and I think probably the greatest thing I'm getting from it is how Jesus responds to people when they don't like what he has to say or when they persecute him. And, you know, like if anybody who was perfect and never did anything wrong gets treated this way, then I, just how arrogant of me to think that I should be able to go through life, and I'm going to be a completely committed, radical disciple, and no one's ever going to get upset with me, and no one's ever going to be mad at me, and I should never have to encounter anything difficult and if I do then I just get to shut down because that's pretty much what I did is shut down for a while and um, I think there were moments when I did try to fight but you know I look around and I, I look at the way that you know Carrie handled things and I look at the way a lot of the students did and it's just it it is amazing to me and it's very challenging I think it's probably the thing that kind of helped me get back up on my feet and jump back in this and like kind of you know recommit to doing this no matter what but Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it was insane to me, just sometimes the boldness that they would have, you know, I, I look, when I read these things about the way people were, you know, persecuted, or, like I said, the way Jesus handled things, the way people, you know, like, literally chased him to a cliff and tried to push him off a cliff, I read that the other day, and I was just like, that's crazy to me, like, bodily harm, like, I never, I never encountered bodily harm, and, and yet still, you know, my, my fragile emotions and my fragile ego were, were very easily damaged because I, I really didn't see a bigger picture at times. You know, I really did lose sight of, of, of things, and I let my feelings get hurt, and I, let, and I did take everything personal. And so when I look at this, I'm so incredibly challenged by how to change. So that way I, I never become earthly-minded again, that, I'm, that I am kingdom-minded and able to fight through things, because it, one, it, 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 it has very much has the potential to become much worse than what it is now, and I think that's something I'm trying to prepare myself for, especially having children, that my children very, may very well live in a world that, you know, bodily harm or things like that, or, you know, whatever it might be, are a possibility, or, you know, and so I want to make sure that for me that I'm so solid in my faith and my passion for God and his kingdom that I never go back to the way that I handled those things
0: before. And I think, you know, it is one of those situations to where I look at it and I'm, I'm very proud of our students and our ministry and the way they handle it because and I've seen this happen to other people before, you know, other friends of mine who are campus ministers, and I've seen their ministries just be destroyed by it. And I've watched, you know, if you guys don't realize this, there was a there was a a massive uh, kind of revival in college ministry years and years and years ago, and it really did get squashed by things like this, and and to be quite honest, by a, a very liberal agenda on the college campuses that says no. Nope, you, we're going to be tolerant of everything except Christianity, pretty much, which is funny because it's the most, these people who scream for tolerance are the most intolerant people you could ever come across whenever it comes to the way they deal with Christ in Christianity. It's ridiculous. But I've seen it destroy movements, and I've seen it destroy ministries before. And the, ma- the thing, I guess, amazes me about it is during that time, I look, and we weren't losing. People weren't bailing on Christ. They weren't bailing on the church. They were, they were resolved to say, no, we're going to stay here. And I look now, even at the ministry now, and it feels different sometimes even to me. And I didn't handle it perfect. I still, when I walk on campus to this day, I get knots in my stomach when I go on that campus. Every single time. I walk in that building we helped design, that building we ran, that building that I have so many memories in and every time I walk in there, I just it, it takes it takes me making a very conscious decision on my way to campus. Carrie, you're going here for a purpose. You're going here because it's what you have to do, because it's what's right but if it were up to me, I'd be like screw it. I don't have nothing to do with it. I don't want to be there. don't want to be around it. don't want to see those people. You know, I don't want to go in there and, and even since then, you know, some of the people who are hating on us and like, you know, I'll be up on campus was playing basketball, and the next thing I know, another student from London was like, hey, by the way, in the LSGA meeting after you played ball the other night, they were talking about how old, old, creepy people who uh, come into the gym should be barred. They got to do something about that. And we're talking about me, and you know, and you read those things, and you're like, it's disheartening in a sense, but what, I, I don't want to allow persecution. I don't want to allow anything to keep us from doing what we should be doing, what we need to be doing, and what the world needs us to be doing. And I look at our ministry, and it still, gro- it still grows, and we still have people who are, are becoming disciples, and it's an exciting thing to see take place. And I think it's because they've done a lot of things. The students have done a lot of things, like what, what the first century church did. You know? And if you look at them and ask, man, how were they so resolved? First of all, I think the thing that they realized that allowed them to, to be resolved enough to continue in spite of all of the, the stuff going on was they realized that God is big, and he had their back. They understood, they, they knew that God was bigger than the persecution. They knew that God was bigger than any ruler, any authority, any person that was going to tell them what to do or tell them to shut up, tell them they were going to be harmed. They knew that. In Acts 14.3, uh, says, Paul and Barnabas stayed there for a while, having faith in the Lord and bravely speaking his message. The Lord gave them the power to work miracles and wonders, and he showed that their message about great kindness was true. You see, whenever you allow God to step in and be who he is and work in a big way, it's much easier to be faithful during persecution because you're like, this dude's got my back. You know, I think about, uh, I don't think that either one of them are in here, are they? Marlon and James aren't in here, are they? So I have a couple of friends with me. Growing up, I was real mouthy. I'm not anymore at all. Uh, <laughs> I would talk trash all the time, and I would get myself in circumstances to where I was going to get messed. I was going to get whooped. But what I was able to do is say, okay, go ahead. Hey, Marlon, Cameron, Tim, James, come on. And people were like, "Uh, no, we're good. We don't want nothing. Because I had something bigger backing me up, right? And, and when it comes to our relationship with God, we need to understand when we're facing the things that God is bigger. You look at this passage and what it says is they were able to speak bravely because they knew God was not going to leave them hanging. They were going to go into a city and he was going to give them the power to do what they needed to do to prove that this message was real. And, and whenever you have real faith, it allows God to work in phenomenal ways to where people look and they're like, Yeah, I know I hear all this junk that people are saying about Christ and about your ministry, but I see power going on in this ministry. One of the things that's really cool, my, one of my favorite things that happens is uh, we'll sometimes have a student come to cross chat. And they 'll come and you can tell when they're in a cross chat they're, kind of, they're skeptical, right? And you can see them looking at you, like looking at the group, they're watching everything that's going on. And I could almost always spot these people, and I 'm like, that is someone that's someone who read those articles, that's someone who's been talking trash on our ministry, and they're coming in, and you can just see they're looking around to see, what is true? What is the truth?" And the awesome thing is that God is so big. And my favorite conversation to have with somebody is whenever these students finally come around, they're like, you know, before I started coming to this, I read some stuff about you guys. And I heard some stuff about you guys. But what they're able to do is they're, they're able to see God in the lives of our people. And they're like, if this group was what those papers said they were, then these people that I'm meeting wouldn't have come from the crappy, screwed up, horrible lives they did to have the kind of lives they have now, where they're involved in a relationship, where they're loved, and they're able to see how powerful God is. And in spite of what was said about us, in spite of what they read about us, they're looking at the power of God working in people's lives, and they're going, I don't believe that stuff. And so what we have to do as individuals, we have to realize that we have a great and powerful God, but we also have to be willing to ask ourselves, are we allowing his power to work itself out in our lives in a way that people are able to see truth? See, they could go into the city in, in face in the face of persecution, and they could do what was right, and they could they could preach the gospel in spite of what they were being told and what was being done to them, because they were allowing God to work in their lives. And they knew that would shine through the darkness. Is that what's going on in our ministries? Are people able to look and realize we have this big, powerful God who has our back? And can we boldly march to where we need to go? Because we know that he's going to work on our behalf. A lot of people, they bail because they don't believe God is big enough to have their backs. And so when persecution comes, they bail out. And I believe the reason for that is is never because God wasn't big enough. It's because they didn't have that faith that God was big enough. And they weren't allowing him to work in their lives in a way that they knew it was true. How can we expect to, to you know convince these people who are persecuting God and Christianity, how can we expect to convince them that we have a big God who has our back if we don't believe it and it's not showing up in our lives?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I I think small, so therefore I put God in the box that he can only do what I can imagine that he can do. And in my mind, good things can only come if everything's going smoothly and if everything's working out right. But the more that I'm in God's word and the more I see the way God works and the more I open up my eyes and I see God for being the big God that he is, I, I see that that's my way of thinking. God has been able to work from the beginning and In less than favorable situations, God's been able to always take stuff that was crappy or, you know, messed up or whatever, and He was always able to work through something good. So for me to to think so small-mindedly that, you know, everything must always be smooth, everyone must always, you know, like me, or they m- everything must go according to plan, or, or you know, God's not with it, or God's not behind it, it's, it's just, it's ludicrous, and it's my small-minded human way of looking at things. And so the more that I'm able to kind of get outside of my own head, and i'm able to see God for the big God that he is and that God does not operate the same way that that i do the same way that my mind works that God's able to say i can still work even if bad things are happening in fact i can do great things through really really tragic things you know the more that people are against you the more i can i can you know show that You know, I'm more powerful because it's not about you, you know, and I think it was really easy for us during a period of time to be like, man, look at us, look at our numbers, look at how we got everything, you know, going our way. It was real easy to be like, yay, yay us, yay our ministry. And I think honestly, one of the best things that could have ever happened was this because it really, really forced us to rely on how big God was. And it wasn't about like, you know, oh man, we're so good at this event or man, we can go out there and, you know, do this or that, or, you know, it became, it wasn't like, man, look at how much God's blessed, you know, these different people with their talents, but it was about, look what we could do, and God's like, no, look what I can do, like, I can make all of this stuff happen, and they think that they're just going to completely be able to wipe you guys out, you know, and and I'm not going to lie, there's times when I sit there, and I'm like, when's this, when's this ride going to be over, like, when, when is it going to come down to where, you know, it's, you know, it's dead and gone, like, you know, like so many other ministries that I've seen, like in different places. And I think God's like, w- wake up, Hannah, like, stop thinking so small think big, big picture. Think about how amazing and mighty I am. Look at all the things I've done. Like, you know, I'm even challenged by people who come here and they see the ocean for the first time. And they're like, look how big God is. Like, look how amazing. Like I wrote this morning on, on my status about this, you know, someone who came and she saw starfish and she was literally running up and down the beach, like screaming and the childlike joy. And I was just like, man, like the things that I take for granted, the things that I don't even like you know, the things I don't even see because I'm so, you know, I'm only seeing in this tunnel vision. And just even just that small little thing this morning just was like, man, you know, get out of your own head. Like, see God for like how amazing he is. See him for how, you know, powerful and the things that he can create and the things that he can do that maybe you can't see or do, but but God, you're not God.
0: In uh, Deuteronomy 31.6, it says, be strong and of good courage and do not fear Nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you and He will not forsake you. And I think that the reason a lot of our students were able to to be resolved to fight through this in our ministries, because this is what God has done in their lives. Every day they would go and they would have to face their past, and they would have to face their sin, and they would have to face their decisions, and they would have to face this brokenness that was within them, and they had seen God heal them and be there for them through these things that growing up seemed like they were just going to destroy them. God had brought them through on the other side safe. He had never forsook them. He had always been right next to them, taking care of them. And so they were able to look in this situation and go, you know what? If God's been through me, through with my, when I was sexually abused as a kid, if God never bailed on me then and he's here with me now and he's helping me learn how to take that hurt and use it to heal other people, if God is allowing me to take my broken family and the horrible divorce my parents went through where they pit us against each other and they did all these terrible things, if God's able to bring me through on the other side of that and promise me I can have a good future in the family, God can bring me through this because that's how big God is. And so they were able to say, man, if I, have, if I serve a God who's able to do that, and they would look at our church and say, look at all these screwed up, broken people in our church who God has put back together and has given them great families and given them a hope and a future. If he can do that, say what you want, write what you want, do what you want. We're here for a purpose and God is bigger than what you, than what you're able to do to me. The second thing is that I think that the thing we have to realize is that God's people, not only is God big, but God's people are here for us. You know, that's one of the things that I saw so powerful. You know, I just, like I said, I was sitting there at this desk, and here I am, and I'm like, and, and after I realized what was going on, I was like, this is horrible, but I would just watch. One, one student comes in, another student comes in, another student comes in, another student comes in, and by the time, I don't know, a couple hours later, people are getting out of class, everybody's finding out what's going on. Our whole ministry is in my office at the university, and I was looking at them, I was like, these kids are awesome. These kids have courage, and I thought about this passage in Acts uh, 18 where uh, Paul is being told again, hey, shut up, stop talking, we're going to kill you, and they're starting to be abusive, and God says to Paul, he says in Acts 18, 10, he says, I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. A couple things struck me about that passage. First of all, you notice he doesn't stop and say no one's going to attack you right? He doesn't stop there. He doesn't say no one's going to attack. He says no one is going to attack and harm you, you know? So if you think you're going to get away completely unscathed and that you're going to never have anyone attack you for what is true and what's right, you're wrong. But God says, I will make sure you make it out though. But the cool thing about this passage, he says, no one's going to do that. And look at the reason why I have many people in this city. I have many people who are here. And one of the most amazing things about our our ministry, I think, is the relationships that take place. I think that was what was able to really, the the tangible, physical thing that we saw that was able to bring us through on the other side is that we were able to look at our brothers and sisters eyeball to eyeball and say, you know what, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. Usually when this kind of thing happens, people bail on their their ministry, they start going to other churches, things like that. No one during that time left. That's not to say people haven't walked away from God since then, things like that, but during this time, Nobody left, and they locked arms together, and they prayed together, and I remember, you know, we would, we would get together, and we would pray, and we would sing, and there were certain songs that we would play in the office, and that people would be playing in their cars, and they would listen to these songs, and there's a song by Jen Johnson called, Come to Me, and every time I hear that song, every time, it just takes me back to, the, to those moments, and specifically, like, not the bad stuff. That's what's the weird thing, is that, you know, like, when I hear those songs, it doesn't take me back to that feeling of, like, frustration or hurt. Or it takes me back to, like, thinking about God gathering his people and looking around a room of college students who love God so much that they weren't backing down. They refused, they refused to be pushed, and, and they refused to be broken, and they were like, no, this we are in this together. And it was such an amazing feeling to know that God's people were saying, nope, there's too many of us here. We're not going down like that. It was just awesome.
2: I think that, you know, man, life. I don't know. Every time I read in scripture or every time I hear and anybody talk about, you know, like, you know, the, you know, Multitude, you know, or I'm sorry, uh, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Or you know, like how how someone who has someone else by their side is is lucky because they have someone to help them up. I feel like this is exceptionally true in every area of my life. I feel like it's not just for these kind of things where like you're at school and like your ministry gets attacked. But I know for a lot of a lot for me and for a lot of the girls in my ministry, a lot of times it's our own families that we're just like, man, I feel like I can't I can't get a, I can't get past the, you know, mom and dad or a sibling or whatever else. And I feel like one of the greatest blessings in my life is when I have that person, you know, that, you know, that's saying like, you know, whatever about the way I'm living my life, or, you know, or just in a way that's just not supportive, not the way that God designed, you know, family to be. I am so very grateful for the people that I have in my life that, you know, just a phone call or a text away, like, this is what's going on with my family, you know, and that they're there to reassure that, you know, like, things are different. Things are going to be okay. Like, I got your back. I'm right here with you. <laughs> you know, we literally the other day had a thread and it just said dads. And everyone was just like, this is what my dad did this, you know, this week or whatever. That's just completely broken my heart. And it was just kind of like the theme of the week is everyone's like, man, my dad's acting crazy. Or my dad, you know, my dad's wants to completely be absent or whatever it might be. But It's just those things that can just, I know for me as a woman, just can cut me to my core and just completely, like, steal my joy and really make me struggle in my faith. And I am so very grateful that God has placed a church and a ministry and other men and women in my life to be there to support and to be able to pick me up when I'm feeling down and be able to be like, you know, you're not going to be that same mom that you grew up with. Your family's not going to be that same broken family, you know. And so it's just so encouraging to know that God just knew exactly what we needed. He knew that we needed a big God to do all this stuff, but he knew that we needed little people, you know, like right by our side to help, you know, pick us up and carry us along. Because I know I I wouldn't be standing here today if I didn't have the people in my life. They have almost at times literally picked me up off the ground when when I'm just completely beat and when I feel completely just, you know, just rejected and hurt, and, like, there's just nowhere else to go, and I'm just very, very grateful that God has put that in my life, and I just can't stress to people enough, if you don't have those people in your life, if you don't have the community of people that are on the same page as you, like, to really strive to, to build that, to really reach out for that, to really be that person for someone else, because so many of us, I know, the people that I'm close to today, if we, were on, if we were doing this on our own, we wouldn't be here.
0: You know, I think uh, Hannah quoted Ecclesiastes 4, and it, you know, my favorite part is the end where it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I think about the people in my ministry, and one of the reasons I feel like I can be bold is I know they have my back. I know that they're going to be there. I know if I go through things, I've seen it, them do it in my life. I've seen them do it for Hannah. I think about one time, when so when all this went down, the church uh, decided to put me back on staff full-time when I lost my job at Lindenwood. I'd taken the job, which was nice because the church didn't have to pay me, and I was still doing campus ministry full-time, which is great when you're on a church plant and you don't have any money. But the church came together, and the church said, no, you're going back on staff. You're not going to work another full-time job. The ministry's going too well. We have to do this. And I remember there was one guy, uh, he wasn't a member yet, and he was – he's a little he's a little off he's actually kind of scary like he's partially the reason that i have a concealing carry i'm getting my concealing carry permit and i say that joking but kind of serious too like he's kind of scary so anyway he like loses it at this meeting <laughs> like it loses it at this meeting because he can't find a job so he doesn't think the church should help me like he's like losing his stuff i mean going nuts so like i go out and i'm in the foyer and we're talking he's like yelling and freaking out. And I just remember watching this. I remember watching some of the guys, specifically Tim Pruitt, one of the guys back home, get in, the, get in between me and this dude. And he's like, you don't need to be dealing with this. And he's like, listen, dude, like he's in this dude's face. He's like, you better knock it off right now. You know, And Tim is like, he, I just I had no doubt Tim had my back. And Tim was not going to allow anyone to say or do anything that was going to harm me or my family. And, you know, that's a, a physical sense thing that you see. But Knowing that you have that spiritually, like Hannah said, you know, it doesn't have to be a persecution at school. Some of you have been through a lot of junk with your families. And your families can be really difficult. And they can want to pull you away, you know. And, and I think that's why God even has some of the passages he has. People don't like reading some of the stuff Jesus said when he says you have to hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. Yes, even your own life. People don't like hearing that, right? But God wanted us to know, listen, I... My, your relationship with me has to be the number one priority. And sometimes when you're dealing with family stuff, it's very easy to get drugged down because that's, it's close to your heart. It's easy for that to knock you back. But when you have brothers and sisters scooping you up the whole time, picking you up and saying, uh-uh, no, nope, they're not doing that. No, you're not getting drugged back into that. No, nope, that isn't on you. That's their decision. You have those people encouraging. You have those people you know, kicking you in the butt when you need it. It makes it much easier to get through the very difficult times. And then the third, so that, you know, realizing God is big and has your back, realizing that His people are here for you, and then also just realizing I think the thing that sticks out to me more than anything is, is and what helps get through the persecution and to help us to be resolved is the fact that God's purpose is greater than our lives. God's purpose is worth more than your life. You know, I can look at the people in my ministry and I see where God has brought them from and where they were before. And when he intervened and he stepped in and he set the times and the places like Acts 17 says so that they might perhaps reach out to him and find him. When he intervened and they grabbed a hold of that and I've seen God completely turn their lives around, that's the kind of stuff you can die for. You know, people are willing to die for something that really, truly matters. And I'm going to tell you there is absolutely nothing in this world that is worth more than, than God's purpose and him fulfilling that purpose. Your life isn't worth that. In Acts 13, 46 and 47, it says, But Paul and Barnabas bravely said, We had to tell you God's message to, uh, God's message to you before anyone else. And then it skips word and it says, The Lord has given this command. I have placed you here as a light for the Gentiles. You take the saving power of God to, to people everywhere on earth. And he, they understood that this would mean they might lose their lives. But he says, we had to do this. We have to do this. Because there is nothing out there that matters more than this. And then in Acts 14, he says, they encouraged the followers and begged them to remain faithful. They're going through this hard time. They're going, please remain faithful. And then he says, they told them, And this, is, this seems totally contrary to the way that you would get someone pumped up about being faithful. All right? He says... Remember, we have to suffer a lot before we can get into God's kingdom, right? That sounds backwards. You're like, all right, we're going to do this. Is everybody ready? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to go out and we're going to conquer them. Yeah, but you're going to have to really suffer a lot <laughs> and be like, uh oh, no, but that's just something that they had come to grips with. They come to grips with the fact that their lives were worth less than God's purpose. They had come to grips with the fact that these people being saved, when you look at this room and it's full and we're worshiping and you look around, the people in here and the lives that they came from and the brokenness and the hurts and the habits and the hang-up and all the abuse that's taking place and all the crap that's went on in their lives, them being here is worth our lives. It's worth us laying down our lives. It's worth us going through persecution. It is worth us dealing with whatever we have to deal with in order for them to be able to experience what a relationship with God is like. For them to be able to experience having a family that isn't broken and isn't screwed up and their kids don't grow up to resent and hate them and then be able to get married and have a great relationship with their spouse and their their children to look at mom and dad and say, my mom and dad love God and they love each other. And, and to experience that, that is worth my life. That is worth everything because God's purpose is so much bigger and so much better than anything I'm ever going to do outside of him.
2: Nothing, nothing huge or powerful or great or amazing ever came from people being passive or being comfortable. I always joke all the time that I want a really great paying job that I don't have to work a lot of hours and it doesn't take a special skill set and I don't have to work real hard. And I've always said like, "Man, when am I going to find that job? I need that job. I want to work like a couple days a week and I don't want to I want to be I don't want to be tired afterwards and I don't want to have to do extra schooling. I want to get paid great." And I always joke around about that, but I mean, I feel like that that really can be representative of of my life and my spiritual life, you know? I I'm never going to do anything amazing. God, God's kingdom, our ministries are never going to do great and awesome things if we're just sit back and we're passive and we never we never rock a boat or we never, you know, if we're never uncomfortable. I want to be comfortable. Like that's, I, I think most people, like they don't want to be uncomfortable, but man, I look at people who achieve great things, people who win things, people who, you know, have these l- goals that they set that they, you know, go after 100%, and none of them ever go without, without pain or without anything else. Our daughter is, um, she's like training, she wants to, she does CrossFit, and she wants to be in the games this, um, you know, make the games this next year, and the thing about it is when they, she has to do a ton of pull-ups, and even when she gets straps, she'll still rip her hands open, and they'll bleed, and they'll be really gross, and they'll just kind of like you know it's just really gross looking and but it's kind of funny because you know most 14 year old freshman girls like they're getting their nails done and they want to you know they they wouldn't want their hands to be bloody and literally like skin ripping off of them but you know when you talked to her about it she was she says like well I know I'm not going to make it to this if I if my hands stay pretty all the time you know and she has a friend who just got her nails manicured and we picked her up and she's like oh look at Claire's fingers they're so cute and she's like my hands will never look like that and then are like, why? She's like, because I ain't going to make it to the games with manicured fingernails. You know, but I look at her, and I'm like, it's true. Like, you know, she's like, I'm sore, and my body hurts, and, you know, and you watch some of the things that, like, Mitch makes her do. And it's like, man, it's, you're literally torturing yourselves at, at times, it seems like. But, you know, like she's, she's you know, I, I read a quote today that was like, everybody wants to be successful until they see the hard work or the pain or whatever else that, gets, that you have to put into it to be successful. And I feel that, you know, I look at that way in my spiritual life. You know, I, I look at it and I'm like, I want to be a part of something amazing. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. God's purpose that he put in front of me, that plan is so much bigger than me that I'm willing to go against, you know, my natural, my natural inclination of being an introvert and being shy and not liking to talk and all these other things, but so much more than that. I want to be liked by everybody, but if I really truly want to be a part of something that's going to change people's lives, and that means I'm going to have to say things that people don't want to hear, and people are going to be mad at me at times, or it's going to be ugly or uncomfortable. I'm going to have to stay up late at night and fight. I'm going to have to cry tears over people, and I'm going to have to grieve losses of things and and a bunch of other things. But it's worth it because, because I do get to look out and see different people's lives be changed when girls sit there in our room late at night, and they're like, I just want so badly to be a good mom and have a good family. And then they say that weird thing, and they're like, like you. And I'm like, okay, first, and they're, but then they're like, I just don't have that faith that I can do that. I'm like, first of all, the fact that you said like me says that they that can, can totally happen. Because I, I, I well, one, I don't think I'm a good mom. But, you know, I like look at I'm like, the only, the only reason why is because of God. And so then it gives them the faith. And I get to have gotten to see all these different girls who never thought they could have good families, never thought they could be good wives and mothers, never thought that they could make a difference in other people's lives, never thought they could even go up and say things to people because they were so shy or they were so scared of rejection. And I get to see them be involved in different people's lives being changed you know, I get to have a girl here this year who last year literally came me his eye the whole time. And we we're like, you know, whatever. And now she's like the most passionate on fire girl in my whole group. You know, it's like, if you don't love lost people, you don't care about people. You don't love God. And every day, and I'm like, God, oh, you're right. You're so right. And I'm like, and last year, we wanted to leave her here. Because <laughs> so I was like, you're never going to change. It's so hard, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just so grateful that. God has put those people in my life and helped me be something more than myself. But that means that it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard work. It means I'm gonna have to do things I don't like. It means people are gonna say things to me I don't wanna hear, you know, but it also means that at times we're gonna have to go through really difficult things together. But because God is so big, because I have awesome people standing by my side, because I have a purpose that's so much greater than myself, I just know it's all gonna be okay and it's gonna be worth it. And it's going to be amazing. And I, at 35 years old, I'm already living a life so much better than what I ever dreamt I was going to live as a little girl. You know, if you would have asked me when I was younger, like, explain your dream life. It wouldn't have looked like this maybe, but, like, it's so much better. It's so much, like, I have a husband I don't deserve. I have a ministry of so many people that have my back and love me that that I don't deserve and I would have never dreamt of having. But not only that, but, like, and just, I have a purpose in God's kingdom that is so much greater than any of the goals or dreams that I've ever would have had before. And that's amazing to me.
0: And I think it really is important with what Hannah's saying is that you realize the Bible never promised, that, promised you that you weren't going to suffer. And in fact, Jesus told us we were going to suffer for this. The thing he told us is he's going to bring us out on the other side of that suffering with something better. You know, she's exactly right. Nothing great ever comes easy. You know, you think about those things in your life, it doesn't come easy. And you may look at, as a disciple, sometimes you're suffering through things. Sometimes it's the, the persecution of family and friends or strained relationships there. Sometimes it's it's a professor. Sometimes it's a, it's people saying, you know, persecuting you because of your faith. Sometimes you're suffering because the Bible tells you that you shouldn't be unequally yoked and you really don't want to be single and you want to have someone and you want to be with them. But the Bible tells you, you need to be waiting for a godly man or woman. And you're suffering through that pain because you, you, God says, I've got to do this. And so you suffer through that. Because you know that on the other side of that suffering comes something incredible. There's a lot of different things we suffer through, but if you're willing to fight through that pain, God brings you something so good on the other side of it. He never said you wouldn't suffer. He said you would. But when we realize that God is going to bring us to on the other side, you realize that it will be resurrected. It will be dealt with, right? He suffered. He was beaten. He was killed, and it was sad. But guess what? He got up. See, that's the mo- I think that's the most important thing to real- realize when we're going through persecution and suffering is, is that we're going to come through on the other side alive. God, can- God is, that's-, that's his thing, is taking things that have been beaten down and broken and dead and bringing them back to life. That's what he's done in our lives, and that's what he will continue to do forever, and we've got to come to, the, to grips with the fact that, man, it may suck some now and then. It may be really difficult. But I know that God is bigger. He's, if he's bigger than death, he will bring you through on the other side of persecution more strong. And I couldn't be more proud watching our students and the way that they handled the per- the persecution, all the junk they dealt with, and the stuff they deal with on a daily basis. And I know it's because they know that God is bigger. And I know it's because they, they have a family of people surrounding them, God's people, who aren't going to let them stumble and fall and who are always going to be for them. But I also know it's because they realize that the purpose of God is worth suffering. The purpose of God is worth any junk we have to deal with here on earth for other people to experience eternity eternal life for other people to experience living in Christ is worth all of those things. And when you realize those things, persecution doesn't seem like such a big deal anymore. You know that video we showed? That guy's exactly right. You look at these four kids under 15 years old, and they were unwilling to deny their faith, and they were beheaded because of it. You know, I think about, you may not realize this, but over near the Nineveh Valley, over in Iraq, they they say it's the oldest Christian community left in the entire world, and that it was actually established by Paul. And these people's relatives were reached by Paul. They trace back their lineage, and they say, we are here, we are Christians in this Muslim nation because what Paul did in this city. That's why we're here. You know, the, the sad thing about it is, is that if you Google it, put it in. Put in oldest Christian community, Iraq. You can read all kinds of stories of families and people saying, listen, we are being destroyed. We are being persecuted, and they may wipe us all out, but we are not leaving. And they, were, they, were, they had the women and children. They were protecting that city there around it with guns. And they're like, we aren't leaving here because we feel like bailing on this would be bailing on something that God set in place. And to see their faith, regardless if you agree with the way they're dealing with it or not, to see the faith of these men and women who are surrounded by persecution, who are facing certain death to say, I refuse to back down. That's incredible. I, wanna, I wish we could meet them. I wish we could. I, you know, I, I remember the first time I read that story. And I was like, man, I want to go get an assault rifle, and I want to go over there and I want to sit on the wall of their city with them. And I want to fight. And I want to do that. And it's easy to get swept up in that, right? It's easy to get swept up in mission work. It's easy to get swept up and say, man, I want to go over there and help them defend the city. But it's so difficult to face the simple persecution that we have. We falter in it all the time. I remember a missionary telling me one time, he says, listen, if your people aren't, aren't dealing with the suffering where they're at, if they're not reaching people where they are in the easy circumstances you deal with in the United States, don't send them to me if they're not effective there because they won't be effective here for sure. And we're kidding ourselves to think that we'll go to some foreign mission field or we'll be under, facing some serious persecution if we can't deal with the, the easy stuff that we deal with now. It's time for for us as a campus ministry to have some more faith. It's time for us to realize we have a big God and a big family who's there to protect us, and we have a purpose that's greater than anything else, and we'll get through those things, and we'll effectively reach the world for Christ.